Hello and welcome to edition number 1949 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording on Thursday the 16th of February 2023 at the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney. I'm Alan Ravel and I edited this edition. This week our four readers are Stefan Gabshevich, Anne Trelaw, Mike Franklin and Valerie Palmer. Our recording engineer is Graham Diacon. And as is usual, we have items taken mainly from the Whitney Gazette, plus a sprinkling of items from elsewhere. We will begin with the Gazette's lead story this week, read by Stefan, about another solar farm proposal. The item I'm going to read is titled, Proposed Solar Farm Could Power Up to Hunt 15,000 Homes. A solar farm is planned that would generate electricity for more than 15,000 homes, according to developers. Quarry's solar farm will be located northeast of Whitney, east of Haley and Poffley End, and southwest of New Yat and North Lee. JBM Solar says there will be CO2 savings in excess of 919,000 tonnes, which equates to planting 19 million trees. It is planning to install batteries to store electricity which can be fed back into the local energy network to help balance the grid at times of high demand. Proposals state, this location has been carefully chosen by our integrated team of experts. The site will benefit from an infield connection to the electricity grip, can be screened to minimise visual impact and has the potential to deliver positive gains for protected species. The company promised local feedback would shape, in final, would shape its final proposals, and the team will listen, learn, and where appropriately amend the de- designs to ensure local feedback is incorporated. The company says that as well as removing the equivalent CO2 of taking 255,000 cars off the road, the project would enhance rights of way and include outdoor picnic areas, outdoor classrooms and information boards. Other perks for local residents would include a £105,000 community benefit fund. The developers also said that the project would have a positive impact on the landscape. Over 95% of the site will be used for sheep grazing and remaining in farming use, they said. And they claim that there will be over 50% biodiversity net gain, providing ecological benefits through new habitats such as wildflower meadows, grassland areas, skylark plots, ponds, bird nesting boxes and beehives. A battery energy storage system will be installed on site. Such a device enables the energy uh, from renewables like solar and wind to be stored and then released to the grid when customers need power most. JBM Solar says £5.3 million will be generated in business rates over the lifetime of the project. The London-based solar engineer energy company has had 98% planning application success rate over the last decade. It said, we remain committed to using the lessons we have learned in this time to continue delivering large-scale solar farms with with co-located battery storage and biodiversity net gains on every project. 
all our future solar schemes will achieve a minimum of 50% biodiversity gain, net gain, five times the minimum requirement of 10%. Since 2012, our team has secured planning permission in the UK and Ireland of of more than one gigawatt of solar projects, ranging from 30 to 150 megawatts. This is the equivalent of providing energy for over 265,000 homes. The consultation is open until February the 28th. An in-person consultation even took, event took place on February the 10th at Haley Village Hall. Graham Nags, chairman of Haley Parish Council, said it had received an invitation to the exhibition event and was waiting for more information. The consultation website is at www.quarriesolarfarm. Thank you. And uh, next up, we will hear from Anne, and she has a story about Cogs Manor Farm. This uh, article is titled Farm Reopens to Visitors After Royal Award Honour, and there is a very good picture of lots of ladies and gentlemen all looking very happy, cheering, I think, Uh, Lots of open mouths, and these are the volunteers that work at Cogs Manor Farm. They are very pleased to have picked up their Queen's Award for voluntary service as the rural attraction gets back into action for a new season. The award is the highest honour a local voluntary group can receive in the UK. Spokesperson Autumn Neagle at Cogs in Whitney said, thanks to an impressive 1,600 hours of volunteer support, time over the last year, it's fantastic to welcome visitors back for a new series. New arrivals, two Sandy and Black VIPs, very important piglets, Lavinia and Anka, are visiting till March. And she urged visitors to say hello before they go back to their own farm as breeding pigs. Staff and volunteers are working on community projects to engage all ages. These will include land management, traineeships with young people aged 16 to 25 and walk, talk and tea an initiative to encourage older, isolated people to socialise. The community projects are being supported by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. There is plenty to keep children entertained over half term, including an opportunity to say hello to goats, ponies, Cotswold sheep, chickens, rabbits and guinea pigs. Cogs will be open every day, from 10am to 4pm until March the 26th, then from 10am to 5pm for the spring and summer season. And now we hear from Mike with a story about Just Stop Oil. The headline is Just Stop Oil, protester guilty over F1 track invasion. A Just Stop Oil protester from West Oxfordshire has been found guilty of risking serious Formula One, serious harm to Formula One drivers and race marshals during a track invasion at last year's British Grand Prix. Jurors at Northampton Crown Court convicted four men and two women 
causing a public nuisance after being shown footage of five of them sitting and being dragged off the circuit at Silverstone at two Formula One as two, for, two Formula One cars passed close by. David Baldwin of Stonesfield was found in a car park along with glue, cable ties and a just-stop oil banner and was said by the Crown to have been in it together with his co-defendants. Baldwin, 47, claimed the meticulous protest did not risk serious harm. All six defendants gave evidence before jurors deliberated for eight hours and 47 minutes before returning guilty verdicts on the activists, whom, the Crown said, had clearly caused an immediate risk of serious harm by sitting in the face of fast-moving vehicles. Prosecutor Simon Jones had told the court the F1 Grand Prix had started and it was under a red flag after a serious accident had occurred at the very start. It is not in dispute that five of the defendants in this case, all of them save for David Baldwin, made it onto the racetrack and they did not have permission to be there. There is no dispute as to that and they sat down in front of the ongoing cars, Formula One motor racing cars. Video footage from the various camera angles was played, as well as personal video statements from five of the defendants recorded a day before the protest, including a claim that the world is being destroyed for the benefit of a few people. McKechnie told jurors the group had planned the protest over two and a half month, over a two half month period. He denied the action designed to draw media attention to just drop oil's call for the government to to half new fossil fuel extraction licenses had been reckless. The protesters were bailed but told they each face a possible prison sentence when they return to court on March the thirty first. Mr Justice Garnham said All of them should understand and be in no doubt that I will be considering all possible options when it comes to sentence, and that includes the possibility of a prison sentence. And uh, finally, in this first round of stories, we're going to hear from Valerie uh, with a report about a local man impacted by the Turkish earthquake. Yes, the headline is Turkish Barber Rushes to Help Family Hit by Quakes. A barber from Whitney has rushed to London to raise cash for a flight to help family members injured and homeless following Turkish earthquakes. The earthquakes and a series of aftershocks hit Turkey, Syria and the surrounding region last week. More than 35,000 had been confirmed dead by the start of this week, with authorities saying that figure could double. Mehmet Aksahin, manager of Cousins Barbershop in Whitney, has relatives in the Turkish city of Gaziantep, a provincial capital about 20 miles from the epicentre of the first earthquake. It was registered as 7.8, classified as a major on the magnitude scale, when it struck in the early hours of February the 6th. He went to a London gathering of his family, 
to pool their resources to pay for someone to fly out to Turkey and help their relatives. He said, My grandfather has damaged his head. My wife has lost her cousin and kids. They live in Gaziantep, in the southeast. Residents of the city, home to two million people, have been taking refuge in shopping malls, stadiums, mosques and community centres. Mr Aksahin said, Everyone is outside and it's freezing cold. It's been snowing and it's raining. It's really bad out there. He said Cousins, a family-run chain of barber shops in Whitney and Carterton, would be involved in collections and seeking donations. The is entitled Deal Signed to Bring 159 Electric Buses into County Service. The first vehicles in a fleet of 159 new battery ve- electric vehicles are set to arrive in Oxfordshire in September after an £82.5 million deal was sealed. Last March, Oxfordshire County Council was awarded £32.8 million from the government's zero emissions bus regional areas, short zebra scheme, along with £6 million from the council and £43.7 million from bus companies, Stagecoach and Go Ahead Group. The scheme will deliver the electric buses and the charging infrastructure. Following the signing of contracts between the bus companies and the manufacturers, manufacturers, confirmation of the county zebra scheme has now been finalised. Andrew Gant, Oxfordshire County Council's Cabinet Member for Highways Management, has said... This is a huge boost in the move towards creating a sustainable, decarbonised public transport system and improving air quality. We believe that along with the other schemes proposed by the, in the county, the new fleet of electric buses will transform our public transport system and encourage people more um, to travel by bus. All the new buses are being manufactured in the UK and are expected to arrive in March 2024. And here is another story concerning buses. Uh, It is entitled Country Club Link Brings Improvements to Buses. Improvements are to be introduced in some Oxford and Whitney bus services. New connections are being created between Whitney, Woodstock and Oxford via a new hotel and a country club, Estelle Manor, on the S7 bus service. And Stagecoach West says it will simply and standardise routes. In Woodstock and Whitney, there will be an exchange of, to services S233 and S3. Funding from the new hotel and country club, Estelle Manor, has an, enabled Stagecoach West to introduce links between Whitney, Woodstock and Oxford on its new S7 service. Estelle Manor will operate as Ancient Hall, which has been bought and is being refurbished by the owners of Mason Estelle, a private members club in Mayfair, London. The S7 will run the current seven route between Oxford and Woodstock before continuing to Whitney via Longhamborough and North Lee villages previously served by the 233. 
Estelle Manor is set to open in spring and has partnered with Stagecoach to deliver the new S7 route. Rory Slater, General Manager at Estelle Manor, said, A key part of our talent attraction strategy for the new opening has been considering how our team will go to and from work, making sure it's cost-effective and covering all key shift times. We hope that the partnership will also benefit our local neighbours who will now be able to travel directly to the centre of Oxford between 5am and 1am, seven days a week. Rachel Galea-Massey, Managing Director of Stagecoach West, said, Our partnership with Estelle Manor is a great example of how By working with local businesses, we can make improvements to the local bus network and continue to encourage residents to use sustainable modes of transport. The 233 will continue to run the section between Whitney and Burford with some improvements to the timetable. Yeah. We're ready. Major theme parks look for site near Oxford. An international theme park firm is looking for its first UK site and wants a 400-acre site within a 40-mile radius of Oxford. Pai du Fou, an an award-winning history-themed attraction, currently operates in two locations, a piece in in the Pais de la Loire, region of western France and Toledo, Spain. Puy de Foire celebrated its 45th anniversary in 2022 and has twice been named best theme park in the world. It was also chosen as the number one theme park worldwide by the visitors in the TripAdvisor Traveller's Choice ranking in June 22. Real estate company Savills has been hired to look for the company's third international site. Ian Simpson, head of the leisure and trade-related team at Savills, said, Puy de Fou is incredibly popular, interactive visitor attraction that centres its shows on country-unique history. The operator has attracted to the UK because of the richness and depth of British history and culture, and we are delighted to support the group in its research. In recent years, we have, been, we have seen the popularity of experimental and immersive visitor attractions grow in the UK, and with the UK's extensive history, this will add a unique experience for the British public. I missed. PC smoking cannabis would have been sacked. A police constable who videoed himself smoking cannabis while on on an Amsterdam getaway would have been kicked off the force had he not resigned. Former PC Anthony Gwiener was off duty and on holiday in the Dutch capital last September when he sent the Snapchat video showing him smoking cannabis to more than 100 followers. Thames Valley Police Chief Constable John Campbell 
dealt with the ex-officer at an accelerated misconduct hearing, which Mr Greener did not attend. The former police constable, who was based in Milton Keynes, was said to have written a letter to his superiors. In it, he accepted his actions had fallen well below the high standards TVP sets its police officers and are of a serious nature. The chief constable said Mr Greener's actions amounted to gross misconduct. The public quite rightly expect high standards of their officers, both on and off duty. His actions are incompatible with his role as a police officer in Thames Valley Police, Mr Campbell said. Had he still been a serving officer, he would have been dismissed, the Chief Constable added. His details will be placed on the College of Policing's list of former officers barred from working in the police service. Woman holding on to the door after collision with car. A woman was left hanging onto the dangerous driver's van door as he sped after crashing into the car. Edward Henthorne, 27, pleaded guilty at the magistrate's court last year to driving a Citroen Berlingo dangerously at the, on the A415 in West Oxfordshire, failing to stop on the, on the scene of an accident and failing to provide specimen of urine for analysis. He was behind the wheel of the van when he collided with the woman's car in Whitney, then made off with her holding onto the car door, to the van door. She could have sustained serious injury, the judge said Judge Michael Gledhill, KC, who described the man's behaviour as absolutely appalling. He told Henthorne of Furrow Crescent Curbridge, it is obvious you were under the influence of drink or drugs. Imposing 12 months imprisonment, suspended for two years, the judge urged the landscape gardener to rid himself of his addiction to, of, to opiate drugs. We've got enough problems without making them worse by abusing your body and taking heroin. Earlier, Gordana Austin said her client suffered from a number of mental health problems linked to his having been prescribed an acne medication as a child. The judge banned him from driving for three years. He must pass an extended recess before he can drive again. Cues form as Clarkson's farm capers return to TV. And there are two quite nice photographs, one with a very long queue outside the farm shop, and the other one is a queue of cars parked along the road outside the farm shop in Chadlington. A council has hit back at Jeremy Clarkson's criticism of it saying his diddly squat farm must be treated like any other business. The response follows scenes that featured in season two of his hit Clarkson's Farm series that showed the former Top Gear star clashing with West Oxfordshire District Council. The council has emphasised that the proper Procedures were followed in handling his planning applications, which included a request to create a car park. Vehicles were seen queuing outside the shop when it reopened at the weekend after its winter break. The council said in a statement, We understand that the planning process shown in Season 2 of Clarkson's Farm can seem obstructive, 
and that people will be confused by the planning decisions at Diddley Squat Farm. As with any other planning authority, we have a legal responsibility to make sure that planning laws and policies are followed correctly by everyone to manage development and protect local communities and the environment. This is regardless of who they are and we treat Diddley Squat Farm no differently. Diddley Squat Farm is in the Cotswold area of outstanding natural beauty, which means it is subject to tighter planning restrictions than most areas of the country. The council added, Officers from the council went to meet with the owners of Diddley Squat Farm to provide advice which was one of the multiple conversations we had to try and support the farm. Over recent years, Diddley Squat Farm has had many planning applications approved where they were in line with natural and local planning policy. This included approving the farm shop with its current car park, approving a lambing shed and allowing the area from which farm shop produce could be sourced to be extended. The farm shop we approved can sell local produce from local farmers, which we wholly support. Over the weekend, customers began queuing up again outside the shop, following its reopening for 2023. The return of the store near Chadlington coincided with the release of the new series of the 62-year-old TV presenter's hit Amazon Prime TV show on Friday. On Sunday, cars could be seen parked on the grass verges into the farm, following the public being warned by Oxfordshire County Council earlier this week to park safely and considerately near the farm. The council said on Facebook, don't park on the A361, it is just too dangerous, and please avoid parking on the verges of the narrow Chipping Norton Road, as it causes damage. The farm will be doing what it can to deal with the influx of visitors, so please follow signals on the day, but bear in mind the car park is small. If you are directed by staff, whether you are through traffic or visiting the farm shop, please be patient with them. They are trying to keep you safe and allowing traffic to flow. The second series shows another year in, in the farm with new animals and crops as well as dealings with the council. Flood of lost school, bus seats causes anxieties. The county's top count conservative councillor, Eddie Reeves, received more than 40 emails over the weekend from parents complaining about the removal of the spare seats scheme for school journeys. Oxfordshire County Council's decision will affect several school transport routes around the county and hundreds of children will be hit when the scheme is scrapped in September. In a tweet criticising the scheme's withdrawal, Mr Jeeves said, councillors deny parents' choice over where their kids go to school. In another tweet, Reeves said, 30-plus emails from parents this weekend pleading 
with Oxfordshire County Council not, with, not to withdraw its spare seat provision for kids taking the bus to school. Oxfordshire County Conservative Group, North Oxfordshire Conservatives and Oxfordshire Conservatives agree. Pupils are eligible for the scheme if they do not qualify for the free school transport but are giving a paid transport place if there are spare seats on the bus. The spare seat scheme will be withdrawn from nine routes, which includes the Marlborough School in Woodstock, Wood Green School in Whitney and St Joseph's School in Carterton. In recent weeks, County Conservative MPs Roberts Courts, Victoria Prentice, David Johnston and John Howell have been very vocal and have criticised the county's decision to withdraw the scheme. In early February, the council's representatives had a team's meeting with 40 parents from Woodgreen School who said they did not understand the economic or environmental arguments for withdrawing the scheme. Parents have been able to pay £224 this academic year for their child to have a seat on the bus when were available. The council has said the scheme is no longer affordable, but parents have argued they should have been consulted first to see if they were willing to contribute to the scheme. Council policy says the council is only required to provide free school travel to children resident within the administrative area of Oxfordshire County Council who are eligible under the law and this policy. Decisions on eligibility for free travel are made for each child individually on the basis of statutory entitlement and any additional provision given in the policy. The policy also states that the council is keen to encourage young people to walk or cycle to the school or college they attend or to make use of public transport. Ex-teacher backs mental health with start-up. A former teacher who creates mental, health, mental well-being resources for children is looking to grow her business. Mitch Pinkney from Whitney created the brand Cups of Calm to support young people dealing with anxiety, stress and feeling overwhelmed. Each cup of calm is made up of 30 jumbo lolly sticks engraved with tips and advice to manage your emotions. Miss Pinkney said, The market is saturated with resources for children's intellectual, creative and physical development, but extremely lacking in mental health and well-being resources. This product is aesthetically pleasing, tactile, portable, washable, can be used in a variety of ways and in a variety of settings, and the advice can be seen, heard and felt. Cups of Calm won Blenheim's start-up competition in 2022, and the products are now stocked in Blenheim's shop. She said, I'm so grateful for Blenheim's belief and support in promoting my Cups of Calm and stocking them in their shop and on their website. I have a treasure trove of many other resources that I would love to bring to the market 
and continue my mission to give people the support, tools and confidence that I so desperately needed, not only as a teacher, but as a parent too, at the beginning of Cups of Calm. And now it's time for the editor's choice of articles. This week my attention was drawn to an article in The Bridge, which is an interesting monthly publication serving Burford and surrounding villages, both in Oxfordshire and uh, in Gloucestershire. Lots of people in our part of the world are providing help and support for Ukrainian refugees who arrived here seeking safe haven from the hostilities in their own country. In my own village, where the Ukraine flag has flown prominently since Putin's invasion, which began exactly a year ago next week, at least three families have been taken in by big-hearted local residents. The article in The Bridge is written by Isla Keeling about her experiences of a Ukrainian family who arrived in the Burford area after fleeing the war zone. The headline reads, A Ukrainian Family's Journey to the Beginning of Their New Lives. And she writes, Over the past four months, my parents have been hosting a Ukrainian refugee family of four, a mother and father and two boys, aged seven and twelve, in our Gloucestershire home. What used to be our annex, listed on Airbnb, became a springboard for this family to begin new lives. I, who have moved out of the house and am no longer, um, and am, sorry, and, and I am long gone to university, do not pretend to be behind the inspired idea of getting involved in the Homes for Ukraine scheme. But I have got to know this family, and it's been eye-opening to see how these people have overcome very real problems. After leaving their hometown of Kherson and escaping a war zone and then driving for three weeks and 1,700 miles with their husky puppy, Ajax, their arrival in Gloucestershire and Oxfordshire in mid-August presented the end to challenges of a physical nature and the deluge of practical problems. The following issues had to be sorted out quickly. Ajax, that's the dog, had to be placed in quarantine immediately Places in schools for the boys had to be sorted before the start of the academic year, including the administration of school meals, meeting form teachers, bus passes and uniforms, jobs for the parents to earn a living, allowing sensible commutes to work that used minimal petrol. Other more menial but still crucial tasks involved sorting out the medical practice, vets and national insurance numbers. The most looming anxiety over their heads was finding a place to move into once the six-month scheme had ended. Oh, and oh yes, I didn't mention that the only family member who could speak a slight bit of English was the mother. The rest couldn't speak a word. Honestly, in my 20 years of existence, I've never seen people with such a multitude of steep hurdles to jump over. We, along with the Gloucestershire County Council and the local charity UKUAT Together, assisted them in slowly ironing out these problems and in the process got to know the Ukrainians living with us. The mother, Olena, works as a manicurist, or she worked as a manicurist in Kherson, so helping her find work was pretty straightforward, and we found her a position in a beauty parlour in Whitney. The father... Vasily 
was an electrical engineer, but since he couldn't speak English and his qualifications were Ukrainian, it was difficult to determine how his career could be transferred to the UK. He agreed that being a kitchen porter in a local pub for the meantime would suffice, and it meant Ajax, that's the dog again, could eat the restaurant leftovers. Over the next few months, the smell of borscht soup floated into our kitchen from next door, along with the barking of the energetic hound, who I think is more of a wolf, and the strumming of two boys' ukulele and guitars every week or so, we'd have dinner all together and discuss the happenings in Ukraine. I imagined our country village, as opposed to a bigger and more well-connected city like London or Oxford, could be a slightly lonely, lonely place for Ukrainian families, but it hasn't proved so. The parents have found their purpose in work and the boys have found theirs in school, and over the last few months those have both proven to be all-consuming, allowing not a moment for boredom. But in addition, the charity, UKUAT together, works very hard to soften the intensity of settling into the UK by organising small meetings that allow the local Ukrainian refugees to meet with each other, converse in Ukrainian and speak about the country they know and miss. At the beginning of December, Olena spotted a house on right move that was perfect for them, not too far from her husband's work, not too far from the boys' schools and in the right price bracket. Quite miraculous, considering the concerns that many Ukrainians would be approaching the end of the six-month stay through the Homes for Ukraine scheme around Christmas time, and were searching for new homes. By the 27th of January, they had signed the lease, received the keys, and were moving into their new home. Amazingly, in just over four months since escaping a war zone, this Ukrainian family has successfully settled into the UK and is starting their new lives. Although there are plentiful reasons in the news to feel concerned at the moment, it's very nice to know that they've found some solace in the UK through the cooperation of local people, charities and government. Next is our weekly quiz. First, the questions and answers from last week, which was set by Byron Russell. Love being the theme on the eve of Valentine's Day. So the question one was, which play features the Montague and Capulet families? Very good. Everybody got that one. Second question. In the Victorian area, what were vinegar Valentine's cards? Anybody know that? Okay, they were insulting cards sent as cruel practical jokes to single men and women. Question three, which famous confectioner produced the first Valentine's chocolate box? Anybody know? Have a stab. It was Mr. Cadbury, actually. Yeah, Richard Cadbury. Question four, in which country, Holland, Finland or Sweden... Is Valentine's Day known as Friends Day? No? Nobody? Finland? The answer is Finland. 14th of February is more about remembering friends rather than a romantic occasion for couples. And the final question last week, which notorious gangster 
was responsible for perpetrating the infamous St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And the answer was Al Capone and his gang on February the 14th, 1929. Now, to this, this week's quiz questions, which are a mixed bag. Question one. In which part of your body would you find the cruciate ligament? Question two. What is the name of the main antagonist in the Shakespeare play Othello? Question three. How many of Henry VIII's wives were called Catherine? Whatever the spelling. Question four. What was the most popular girl's name in the UK in 2021? And my last question for you this week, in what US state is the city of Nashville? Okay. And now to our notice board. Sadly, nine deaths were announced in the Whitney Gazette this week. They were Muriel Eileen Amos, whose, uh, whose, un- whose name before she married was Fleet, uh, and she was known to friends as Pudge, and she died on the 7th of February, aged 88. Yaffa Azaz died on the 5th of February, aged 91. Helen Louise Baker died on the 23rd of January, aged just 42. Cynthia Maureen Harlow died on the 6th of February, aged 93. Norman Haynes died on the 3rd of February, aged 86. Hubert John Townsend died on the 12th of February, aged 88. Margaret Hodge, known as Madge to friends, died aged 96. Maureen White of Whitney died on the 1st of February, age 78, and somebody who the town of Whitney certainly would have known, Mary Joyce Mumford, widow of Ken Mumford, died on the 10th of February, age 99. Our condolences to family and to friends. Now, there is one listener with a birthday for us to mark this week, and that's Mr John Finbow of Alverscott, who will be 80 on Sunday, the 19th of February. Many happy returns of the day to you, Mr Finbo. This topic is Council Considers Opinion Shake-Up on Highways Plan. Oxfordshire County Council is considering formalising the way it engages with stakeholders and the public on major highways projects. The idea of a co-production handbook was mooted after two rounds of public consultations led to changed ideas for a Kidlington roundabout. The project includes new and improved bus lanes, segregated cycle routes and paths and new cycle and pedestrian crossings. Duncan Enright, the Cabinet Member for Travel and Development Strategy, welcomed feedback that inspired one of the most dramatic changes he had seen in in any scheme. County Officer Aaron Wisdom, who is leading the roundabout project, said the scheme was developed in conjunction with Charwell District Council local plan and at a time when the emphasis was 
on trying to provide the active travel and bus priority without impacting on general traffic. Trying to get a scheme that worked for everyone, which is always quite difficult. I think there could be been a better engagement, so taking that back and making it sure we are going through the co-production process at a very early stage and throughout the process, we would probably have arrived at a similar scheme to the one we have now probably a year or two later, earlier, sorry. He added, we had a really productive two or three sessions with Cyclops, Oxfordshire Cycling Network, and some residents of Kidlington. We tried to make it as inclusive as we could. This article is titled, Pilot Speeds Up Help for Inmates' Children. Thames Valley Police is hoping to expand the system of offering specialist support to children who have a parent in prison from day one of the sentence. Following a trial in Oxford, the Thames Valley Violence Reduction Unit with Thames Valley Police and Charity Children Heard and Seen has extended Operation Paramount across Oxfordshire. The project aims to speed up the process of identifying families who need support, helping to tackle the risk of young people being drawn into crime or other problems. For the first time, data from the prison service database is being used by police not only to track a prisoner's entry movement through an eventual release from prison, but also to direct support to vulnerable family members. Sergeant Russ Massey of the Thames Valley Violence Reduction Unit said, This initiative is a fantastic example of how we can use data and information that we, the police, receive to identify possible vulnerabilities. It allows us to make a rapid and positive offer of support for those families. Through this, we can address some of the root causes to, f to the future offending and other problems a child may go on to face. Children heard and seen <clears throat> have huge experience in working with those left behind when a parent is imprisoned. They know the pressures such a moment creates and how best to provide the right help in a private and independent way. A police community support officer now visits and offers a referral to the charity. The support is entirely voluntary. 1990s sex assaults. Teenage experimentation. A man was warned that he could face a prison sentence as he had admitted a string of sexual offending dating back when he was a teenager. Gary Bowden, 45, of Merton Close, Ensham, had been due to stand trial at Oxford Crime Court this week on a number of indecent and sexual assaults going back 30 years. But appearing before recorder John Ryder, KC, last week, he admitted wrongdoing. The four offences to which he has pleaded guilty included two counts of indecent assault on a male person that his brief, Jonathan Coote, characterised as teenage experimentation. Mr Coote asked the judge to adjourn 
for pre-sentence reports, taking into account the fact that his client had a number of health problems, including fibromyalgia and COPD. Although no longer on an alcoholic, he does still drink three or four cans of cider a day, the barrister added. The adjournment would also give Bowden a chance to obtain character references. Asking recorder Ryder to readmit his client to bail, Mr. Coode said, He has already been wherever I've needed him to be half an hour to an hour before me, and I haven't been late. The judge told Bowden, I'm sure you understand that all options are open and imprisonment is a distinct possibility. Three short items. Pet owner fined over dog caught chasing sheep. A dog owner whose pet was caught worrying sheep has been fined £100. Nicola Bennell, 56, of Swimbrook, near Burford, admitted being an owner of a dog worrying livestock when she appeared before Oxford Magistrates Court. Her dog got into a field of grazing sheep at Potter's Hill Farm Langley on December the 9th last year and chased the flock. The magistrates ordered she pay £85 in costs to the Crown Prosecution Service and a £40 victim surcharge. The unusual charge, which followed an investigation by Thames Valley Police's Rural Crime Task Force, was brought under the 1953 Dogs Protection of Livestock Act. And next, road shut for rail repairs. Emergency rail repairs forced the closure of a series of village roads on Monday. Workers were in Cassington and Yonton to carry out unscheduled rail bridge works according to traffic reports. The area between Burley Road and Yonton Road, Cassington, and between Rutten Lane and Cassington Road, Yarnton, was shut in both directions. And finally, new chippy LGBTQ plus group. Youth service provider Got To Be has launched a new LGBTQ plus group for young people aged 13 to 17 in Chipping Norton. The group, named Hexagon Chippy, meet every Wednesday at a town centre location. The group is hoping to stage Chipping Norton's first Pride event on the tw- Saturday the 24th of June and are looking for volunteers from the local LGBTQ plus community who would like to get involved. Well, that completes this edition. We hope you enjoyed it. Our thanks go mainly to the Whitney Gazette for the articles we've used my thanks go to our recording engineer, Graham Dicon, and to our readers, Valerie Palmer, Antrelaw, Stefan Gabshevich, and Mike Franklin. Our admin team this week was Doreen Turner and Rachel Fielder, and our copiers and packers this evening are Nigel James and me. Keep listening at the end of our programme for highlights of this week's best radio and TV listing listening, I should say. Meanwhile, I know everyone here at Whitney Talking News would like to wish you well, and so until our next edition, we will all say goodbye. Goodbye. TNF Soundings. 
features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, February 18th. Moira Stewart's Hall of Fame concert this week includes recordings of the Hallelujah Chorus and Mozart's Jupiter Symphony, plus works by Strauss, Chopin, Jenkins, Elgar and Sibelius. It's on Classic FM, Saturday afternoon, 4pm. Lady's Maid is a dramatisation of Margaret Forster's 1990 novel telling the story of Elizabeth Barrett Browning's maid, Lily Wilson. It's on Radio 4 Extra at 5pm. Britain's opera, The Turn of the Screw, can be heard on Saturday on Radio 3 at 6.30pm. A new series of The Infinite Monkey Cage starts this week, hosted as always by the physicist Brian Cox and comedian Robin Ince. This week, they and their guests discuss the night sky in the Southern Hemisphere. It's on Radio 4 at 7.15pm. And in Archive on 4, Oh Yoko, the Radio Times Pick of the Week, looks at the life and career of the artist Yoko Ono to mark her 90th birthday. You can hear it on Radio 4 at 8pm. Sunday, February 19th. Castaway in Desert Island Discs is Oscar-winning costume designer Jenny Beaven on Radio 4 at 11.15 in the morning. There's another chance to hear the first five parts of The Bookshop, an adaptation of the 1978 Booker Prize shortlisted novel by Penelope Fitzgerald, before the reading continues on Monday. When Florence plans to open a bookshop in Hardborough, it's clear she'll have powerful local opposition. The Omnibus edition is on Radio 4 Extra at either 11.30am Sunday morning or 5.30pm Sunday afternoon. The ever-popular Just a Minute, hosted by Sue Perkins, ends its current series on Radio 4 at just after midday. In How Wars End, James Nocty investigates how other conflicts have come to a conclusion to shed light on what might happen in Ukraine. Radio 4, the place to tune in for this one, at 1.30pm. Words and music this week is all about clothes, with readings from Northanger Abbey and Great Expectations, as well as works by Aldous Huxley and Jenny Joseph, and a celebration of the late Vivian Westwood. The playlist includes music by Bach, plus highlights from Prokofiev's Cinderella and Strauss's Salome. Radio 3, 5.30 on Sunday afternoon. And we round off the weekend with drama, the Seagull, an adaptation of Chekhov's comic tragic play with music by John Chambers. Radio 3, 7.30pm. On to programmes then that are broadcast at the same time every day, Monday to Friday. So same radio stations each day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. Book of the Week is Super Infinite, Catherine Rundell's biography of the Tudor poet, preacher, scholar and soldier John Donne. You can hear it every day, on Radio 4 at 9.45am. Agatha Christie's 1928 novel, The Mystery of the Blue Train, can be heard on Radio 4 Extra all this week at 11.30am or 4.30pm. The Bookshop by Penelope Fitzgerald, which we mentioned earlier, continues with the final five parts on Radio 4 Extra, again either at 12 noon or 5pm. Composer of the week is Richard Wagner. Monday to Friday, Radio 3, 12 noon. 
The Heart of a Woman is the fourth of seven autobiographies by the American poet, author and civil rights activist, Maya Angelou. Dramatised on Radio 4 Extra, all week, at quarter past twelve each day, or 5.15pm. Book at Bedtime this week is Eugene Onigan by Alexander Pushkin. It's on Radio 4, every day this week, at 10.45pm. And the essay, Walking with Causeways, takes us on walks to tidal islands in the UK, which are only accessible on foot when the tide is low including St Michael's Mount and Lindisfarne. All week, Radio 3, 10.45pm. On to individual programmes then to listen to through the week, starting with Monday, February 20th. In the series Don't Log Off, Away From Home, hears about people living and working away from home, including a Ukrainian refugee living in Moldova, a migrant worker who was among those who helped build the stadiums that hosted the World Cup in Qatar. Radio 4... 11am on Monday. Paul Gamaccini chairs this week's edition of the Music Quiz, Counterpoint, on Radio 4 at 3pm. Well, this week's analysis is from brother to other. Ukraine was for a long time considered Russia's closest and most loved neighbour. The programme tells the story of how the war has been presented to the Russian people. Radio 4, 8.30pm. Tuesday, February 21st, Ukrainians in Britain were next. Ukrainian refugees speak about their plans for the future as the war with Russia drags on. Radio 4, 11am. The Kitchen Cabinet is the culinary panel show hosted by Jay Rayner, answering questions from the audience. Radio 4, the place to be, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. On the same radio station, the last of the current series, Word of Mouth, Richard Osman talks to Michael Rosen about his love of language. Radio 4, at 4. Peter White presents In Touch with news, views and information for people who are blind or partially sighted. Radio 4, 8.40pm. While a new exhibition at the Ashmolean Museum in Oxford looks at the digs conducted at Knossos in Crete. This week's edition of Free Thinking explores what the artefacts found can tell us about the world and delves into the powerful myths. It's on Radio 3 at 10pm. Wednesday, February 22nd, a new series of the comedy panel show Nature Table, hosted by Sue Perkins. Radio 4 Extra at 2pm and 7pm. The Radio Times choice is In Extremis, a reconstruction of Oscar Wilde's meeting with society palm reader Mrs Robinson, starring Sheila Hancock and the late Corin Redgrave. It's on Radio 4 Extra at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Choral Evensong for Ash Wednesday comes from the chapel of St John's College, Cambridge, Radio 3, 4pm. While in the last ever edition of the long-running series Forethought, producer Sheila Cook reflects on what she's learned from working on the programme for 11 years. She considers the power of hope as she looks back at some of the talks and reminds her that, amid bad news, we're often surrounded by remarkable people. It's on Radio 4 at 8.45pm. Thursday, February 23rd, Robert Stevens stars in a dramatisation from 1993 of Zorba the Greek. Radio 4 Extra at 3pm and part two is on Friday at the same time. From our own correspondent, is presented as usual by Kate Aidy, reports from BBC correspondents around the world on Radio 4 at 11am. 
In the second edition of Role Play, actors, including Hayley Mills, reflect on the meaning behind the role of J.M. Barry's Peter Pan and what playing it has meant to them. Thursday, Radio 4, 11.30am. In the series Sliced Bread, Greg Foote and guests search for the scientific evidence behind the claims manufacturers make about toothpaste. Radio 4, 12.30. In Ramblings on Thursday, Claire Balding meets engaged couple Sam and Roger, who take her on one of their favourite walks, the Four Waterfalls Walk in the Brecon Beacons. Radio 4, 3pm to join them. And as supply chains become ever more complex and under increasing strain, the forum looks at the history of the shipping container. BBC World Service at 10.15pm. So to Friday, February 24th. Gardner's Question Time comes from Hale, Greater Manchester, where experts Christine Walkden, James Wong and Ashley Edwards answer listeners' horticultural queries on Radio 4 at 3pm. The Radio Times' choice is Ukraine, a year of war. In a special collaboration with BBC podcast Ukrainecast, journalists and international correspondents come together to mark 12 months since the start of the Ukraine war. Victoria Derbyshire and Vitaly Shevchenko host a panel discussion on the key moments in the conflict. It's all on the BBC World Service at 8.30pm. Soul Music brings us the story of Feeling Good, written for a 1964 musical but now best known as one of the most signature recordings of Nina Simone, ready for Extra at 8.30pm. Well, lastly, the second part of an omnibus edition of The Flight of the Ospreys, in which Emily Knight joins a team of conservationists following Scotland's Ospreys as they set off on their epic autumn flight to West Africa. What a way to finish the week. You can hear it on Radio 4 at 9pm. And that's it. Thank you to Wendy for the highlights. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening. Hello, this is Lizzie from Otley Talking News with Val's selection of audio-described TV programmes starting Saturday the 18th of February to Friday the 24th of February 2023. Now let's see what we can find to interest you this week. Saturday the 18th of February. A baby hippie faces new dangers in Serengeti at 10am on BBC Two. You may like to take a ghostly trip to Bodmin Moor in Rick Stein's Cornwall on BBC Two at 12 noon. Four celebrities take to the black chair in Celebrity Mastermind on BBC One at 5.35pm. The long days of summer have arrived on Shetland in the final episode of Simon King's Shetland Adventure on BBC Four at 8pm. There are two episodes of Midsummer Murders tonight, starting with Dead Man's Eleven. A man is discovered bludgeoned to death with a cricket bat, marking the start of a series of clinically calculated killings. Midsummer Murders is on ITV3 at 7pm. Let's have a look at tonight's early evening film. Two astronauts become stranded in orbit, and their only hope for survival is to go to the International Space Station in tonight's space thriller, starring Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. Gravity is on BBC Two at 7.15pm. In the Lake District, Sophie Morgan meets Sue, who lives and works alone managing the most remote hostel in England. The documentary Living Wild, How to Change Your Life is on Channel 4 at 8pm. In Casualty, on BBC One at 8.40pm, Robin and Paul make a life-changing decision. We return to the rural fishing community in Ireland for some Saturday night drama. Bjorn returns from an overnight stay at the hospital and dismisses Maura's concerns, and Adama makes a shocking discovery about Aidan's new venture. Find out more in the final two episodes of North Sea Connection at 9pm on BBC Four.
Moving on to Sunday the 19th of February. An early start today for some interviews with key politicians and public figures in Sunday with Laura Kusenberg on BBC One at 9am. One challenge separates the four cooks from a place in the final in Young Mastership on BBC One at 3.35pm. Discover how Venice rose from a swamp to become one of the most powerful cities in medieval Europe and Italy's invisible cities at 4.15pm on BBC Two. The six remaining potters create metallic effects sculptures of endangered animals in tonight's The Great Pottery Throwdown on Channel 4 at 7.45pm. Although not audio described, we have a treat tonight for any opera fans. Puccini's opera La Bohema from the Royal Opera House in Comic Garden is on BBC4 at 7.45pm. An international team of pathontologists investigate a mysterious dinosaur graveyard in the remote badlands of Wyoming in secrets of the Jurassic dinosaurs on BBC Two at 8pm. DCI Stanhope finds an abandoned car with a baby inside on the final episode of the current series of Vera on ITV One at 8pm. Two choices at nine tonight. The police are on the criminal's trail, but time is slipping away in tonight's episode of the drama Gold on BBC One at 9pm. After sailing over 20,000 miles, HMS Queen Elizabeth makes her way from Japan to the island of Guam for maintenance in the warship Tour of Duty on BBC Two at 9pm. Now for those programmes which are on at the same time throughout the week. Homes Under the Hammer is at 11.15am, Bargain Hunt is at 12.15 and Escape to the Country is at 3pm. All these programmes are on BBC One Monday to Friday. Doctors is at 1.45pm, also on BBC One, but Monday to Thursday. Dixon's Real Deal is on ITV One at 2pm Monday to Friday. Heartbeat is on ITV Three at 5.40pm Monday to Friday, apart from Wednesday when it is at 5.35pm. And on BBC Four at 7pm, Great British Railways is on Monday to Thursday. Let's have a look at Monday the 20th. In tonight's early evening film, Tong Hanks stars as America's best-loved children's TV host, Ted Rogers, who is helping a journalist reconcile with his father. A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood is on Film 4 at 6.45pm and is the Radio Times film of the day. Get your thinking caps on as four more contestants are in the black chair tonight in Mastermind at 7.30pm on BBC Two. And two teams battle it out for a quarter-final place in University Challenge at 8.30pm on BBC Two. Three choices at nine o'clock. Lou struggles to keep up appearances with Cole and, desperate to get away from him, she seeks help from an unexpected source in the drama Better at 9pm on BBC One. Marion and Catherine speak up in the investigation panel. Helen receives an offer and all three women make a big decision about the future in the final episode of Maternal on ITV1 at 9pm. A new five-part documentary series starts tonight as cameras follow the high-stakes world of parole hearings where the futures of prisoners and victims as well as their families hang in the balance. Parole is on BBC2 at 9pm. On to Tuesday the 21st. The volunteers of the RNLI race to save a surfer at the mercy of Storm Brendan in Saving Lives at Sea on BBC Two at 7pm. Another case for our Oxford policeman as he investigates an explosive murder in Endeavour at 8pm on ITV3. Chris Packham concludes his quest to help the group of autistic people create short films to reveal how they truly feel in Inside Our Autistic Minds on BBC Two at 9pm. 
Tonight's history documentary tells the story of the feud between Queen Elizabeth I and her cousin Mary, Queen of Scots, whose conspiring ultimately led to her execution. A History of Britain by Simon Shahama is on BBC4 at 9pm. It's their last day in the family home, but the sisters still aren't speaking to each other. Will they manage to patch things up before they say goodbye to their house? The final episode of The Family Pile is on ITV1 at 9.30pm. Now for Wednesday the 22nd of February. Most treasured items are brought in for some TLC in the repair shop on BBC One at 8pm. Kirsty revisits an Edinburgh couple who sought the Gurry's help in 2020 to find out what they did next in Kirsty and Phil's Love It All Listed on Channel 4 at 8pm. The search for Britain's most talented amateur pianist continues as Claudia Winkleman and the team arrive at Leeds Railway Station. The piano is on Channel 4 at 9pm. Surgeons at Adam Brooks Major Trauma Centre face a host of complexities as they deal with two road accident victims who sustain life-changing injuries. Surgeons at the Edge of Life is on BBC Two at 9pm. The late-night film follows the life of a poor Indian youth apparently about to win Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Slumdog Millionaire is on Film 4 at 10.55pm. Programmes for Thursday the 23rd. More eager entrepreneurs seek investment in Dragon's Den at 8pm on BBC One. A lively French bulldog meets a London couple. Meanwhile, Peaches Lurcher has two dates. Will she find a home at last? Find out in the doghouse on Channel 4 at 8pm. Rather larger animals feature my next choice. Noel Fitzpatrick heads to South Africa where he treats a young rhino and helps to build the, the world's first prosthetic rhino foot. The Supervet Safari Special is on Channel 4 at 9pm. Amelia Fox and Professor David Wilson investigate the fresh evidence surrounding the disappearance of two young friends who went missing in Birmingham on Boxing Day in 1996. In the Footsteps of Killers is on Channel 4 at 10pm. Although not audio described, maybe you'd like to listen to some topical debate from a panel of politicians and other guests in Question Time on BBC One at 10.40pm. And finally, we come to Friday the 24th of February. Brenda finds romance at the home of a clock collector and Father Brown on BBC One at 1.45pm. Alan Carr and Amanda Holden are on the home stretch as they take on the interior of the final room in their Sicilian renovation. Amanda and Alan's Italian job is on BBC One at 7.30pm. Chris Marshall returns as Humphrey Goodman in This Death in Paradise spin-off. Having moved with his fiancée Martha to her hometown of Shipton Abbott in Devon, the detective discovers that his first case has an unusual prime suspect, a 17th century witch. Beyond Paradise is on BBC One at 8pm. This is followed by our usual Friday night visit to the Caribbean to see the team investigate the murder of renowned Calypso singer's husband. Meanwhile, Neville struggles with Sophie's revelations and begins to contemplate his future on the island. This is the final episode of the current series of Death in Paradise on BBC One at 9pm. And my final choice of the, for this week is another drama. Constance catches Lucian's eye during a boat trip, but sees more than she bargained for. Cecilia and Jack strike a deal on their Ainsworth family portrait, but then someone tries to steal it. Hotel Portofino is on ITV3 at 9pm. TNF Soundings